for coming. Thank you for coming. And uh, there are others I've probably missed, but uh, thank you, all of you. Thank you for coming. And um, uh, let me talk to you about Abraham for a little while. Abraham is a very, very uh, uh, high-profile person in the Bible. Um, uh, think, think of the, the example of the stars. There's, there's five words. He made the stars also. Five words. <clears throat> there are people that dedicate their lives to uh, stars. And uh, if you notice, in, in, the, in, these, in the United States, China, Russia, um, they're, uh, they're getting, they're all coming on board now. They're, they're, they're not, you got an army, you got a navy, you got an air force. Now they want a space force. And a uh, lot of attention given to things beyond our atmosphere, talk of going back to the moon, talk of going back to Mars, going to Mars, not going back, but going for the first time. And they'll probably do that. Um, <clears throat> he made this five words. If there are five words dedicated in the Bible to that thing about stars, then look at the example of Joseph. Um, when you start uh, at Genesis 37, Pretty much through the end of the book of Genesis, every chapter is about Joseph, except 38. 38, there's no mention of Joseph. It just talks about his self-righteous brother Judah. But there are a lot of chapters dedicated to Joseph. So personally, I think Joseph is the best example of Jesus in the Old Testament. Everything about him, about being sold and and on and on and on and on, just uh, savior of the world and I, I, I uh, look at the example of the tabernacle of Moses, 40 chapters in the book of Genesis or Exodus. But when you start at chapter 25, 25 through 40, it's all about the tabernacle of Moses, 15, 16 chapters dedicated to that subject. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal. When you talk about Abraham, I, I, I don't know how many verses there are in the Bible and how many chapters are dedicated to him. Look at the three great religions of the world, of, of Christianity and Judaism and Islam. All three of them claim Abraham is their father. And uh, he's a very high-profile individual. Um, uh, I, 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 there's a chapter, it's uh, chapter uh, 22, God asks Abraham, do you love me as much as the heathen love their gods? I mean, of course I do. Okay. Well, they're willing to sacrifice their children. I want you to sacrifice yours. I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. There's a real fine line here, folks, between faith and first-degree murder. Because what you have to understand is, God didn't want Isaac's blood. What he wanted was Abraham's faith. That's what he, he's, he's trying. He's, he's, what he's trying to get through to Abraham is, you know, he's an old man when this boy is born. And uh, I always get him confused. Who was the oldest? Was it Abraham or Sarah? One was 100 and one was 90, but I get him confused. Huh? Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90. I mean... How many 90-year-old women have you seen at the maternity ward lately? You know, the, 
T-shirt that says baby. Uh, uh, Janice Lee told me today she's got, I think she said 14 great-grandkids. And she's not anywhere close to 90. She's only like 43, I think. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I just can't imagine. And, uh, I was talking to Renee this morning, and she's, she, uh, I could hear this little baby crying. And I said, what's going on? She said, uh, it's time for her bath, Grandpa. And she's not real happy about it. And, uh, and I said, well, she's been in, on a waterbed for nine months. She shouldn't have a problem with water. But uh, uh, <clears throat> she said she loves clothes. She really likes clothes. And so Grandma took her clothes off, and, and that, that baby was just screaming. I said, oh, she's going to be a great singer. She has wonderful lungs, great lungs. And uh, I just, can you imagine a 90-year-old woman with them they, them safety pins and through that diaper and I mean that that baby had to be a pin cushion man I mean I can't imagine 90 year old fingers doing all that you know (laughs) when that boy was born it was such an amazing miracle and so in in chapter 22 God says I want you to give me the boy he said okay so he takes Isaac, and he, he looks at the servants, and he said, you stay here. This, this, it's a great chapter. He said, the lad and I are going yonder to worship. And uh, said, no, you're, you're going there to sacrifice. No, I'm going there to worship. Totally different way of looking at things, you know. Uh, to some people, it's a horrible cost. To others, it's a great privilege. And uh, so Isaac, it's in verse number seven. Isaac it tells, he said, look, daddy, we got, we've got the wood. We've got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And I, I don't know if he had tears in his eyes when he said this. This is a very poignant moment. But for a, mo- for a moment, Abraham slips into the mantle of a prophet in verse number eight. Watch watch the wording. The wording is very critical. He said, God will provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice. Now, if that was me, I would have said, I'm going to do this myself. That's not what he said. He said, God is going to provide himself, which means he's, he's going to be the sacrifice. He's going to be the sacrifice. And, and you, there, there's so much Bible about this because uh, his earthly cousin, John, uh, John was, was a fascinating guy. He, John the Baptist was a hinge. He was an Old Testament he wasn't New Testament. He was, he was the hinge. He was the, the thing that connected the law and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and he, of course, was, was, was the one that would get ready, try to get these people ready for Messiah. And there's this great verse in the book of Luke. It said he was going to exalt the valley 
He was going to tear down the mountaintops. He was going to straighten out the crooked, and he was going to smooth out the rough. He just, he's, he's going to prepare a highway for the, and, and that's what his preaching was about. Now, I try every time that I get up in front of you, I try, unless I've been assigned something, um, I try to always have something different for you and fresh for you. But John the Baptist preached the same sermon for six months. Repent. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, um, buddy, it, it shook him up. Because if you go to the last verse, the last verse in the Old Testament, this is what it says. I want to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And then I'll turn the heart of the children back to the fathers. And he said, if you don't do this, I'm going to curse you. So it's very obvious to me they didn't do it. Because in most of your Bibles, there's one little page. If you've got a nice Bible, you've got that nice India paper, that, beautiful, that nice thin vellum stuff. It's just one page, but that page is 400 years. Because there's 400 years of silence between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. So it's pretty obvious those fathers didn't turn their hearts to the sons. And the sons didn't turn their hearts back to the fathers. So God cursed them. And they had 400 years of no prophecy, no fresh voice. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist pops up on the stage. This guy is, is uh, he, he's been alone for too long with too much of God. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's baptizing people. Today, we baptize people for the remission of their sins. But John baptized people not for remission of sins, but for repentance. It was a public washing saying, I want to be clean and I want to be ready and prepared when Messiah shows up. And uh, his, whole, his whole ministry was about repentance. And when you look at us today, and, you know, I've asked people for years, what is the gospel? And most of the time, the response that I get is, oh, it's the good news. And that, that I, I, what I'm looking for is I want people to use Scripture to explain Scripture. Scripturally, what is the gospel? And there's no place in the Bible that says the gospel is the good news. What it says is this, that I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached, past tense, which you've received. It's why you're standing. He said, I didn't preach anything to you that I didn't obey myself. 1 Corinthians 15. He said, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose the third day according to the scripture. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And according to Romans 1 and 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So death, burial, and resurrection is a big deal. Not simply the fact that we, I, that we agree that it occurred, but that we identify with it. We identify with his death by repenting. 
We identify with his burial, Romans 6 and 4, Colossians 2 and 12. We are buried with Christ. How? By baptism. And in Corinthians chapter 8, or Romans chapter 8, how do we identify with his resurrection? He died, he was buried, but then the Spirit re-inhabited a dead, buried corpse and are re-resurrected him. So what is resurrection? The infilling in this of the spirit into something that's died and was buried. So in type, when we repent, we identify with his death. When we are buried and baptized, we identify with his grave. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we identify with his resurrection. That's the gospel. Now, there are people that tell you, you don't have to get baptized, but they're wrong. Jesus said this, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's in red. Harold didn't say that. And he that believeth not and consequently isn't baptized is damned. That's powerful stuff. There's a scripture that says the like figure whereunto baptism doth now also save us. So I think it's a big deal. Don't ever let anybody tell you that all you have to do is, is pray. The, what is the sinner's prayer? Don't knock it. What is the sinner's prayer? It's repentance. And that's all that John the Baptist preached. And this is what Jesus said. He is the, the greatest thing that's ever come out of the womb of a woman. John the Baptist. But he didn't stop there. He said, but he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. So you and I are on the other side of John the Baptist. We live on the other side of the cross. So it's not enough just for us to repent. You got to get in the kingdom. And that's a choice. That's a choice. Because if you've been in this church for any length of time, you know what I've taught you out of John 3. Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Everybody preaches that. But everybody doesn't preach the next thing that Jesus said. You're born of water and spirit. Everybody don't preach that. That's why you need to be baptized in water. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Why? Look at John 14. It says, ye in me and I in you. What does that mean? When you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you're baptized into him. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he's baptized into you. Ye in me through water baptism, I in you through spirit baptism. And so, so it all goes together. That's why Jesus said, don't, don't, don't be amazed that I tell you, you're going to be born of water and spirit. I debated with a pastor one time and he said, oh, that's talking about your natural birth. You're, that we're all surrounded with water and that's, that's, a, I said, I don't discount the fact that babies are in amniotic fluid and, and they've got all that water. In, 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 but, but Jesus is not talking about the first birth. He's talking about being born again. And, and you've, you've got to be born again. And you're born again about water and spirit. But then watch what he said. If you're not born of water and spirit, you'll never see the kingdom. You won't even see it. And then he said this. If you're not born of water and spirit, you can't enter. See, I was taught all my life, once you're baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, you're automatically in. Really? I don't believe that anymore. I'm convinced that once you're baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, remember it says, add to your faith virtue, which means you ought to start cleaning stuff up. 
Amen. Because God will want her faith where, and then add the virtue, knowledge, <laughs> temperance, which means self-control. If, if I'm talking to somebody today and you've got something in your life that's out of control and you can't seem to get a handle on it, what's the answer? You don't know the word. Because we'll get the Holy Ghost and then just bypass studying that scripture and we don't get the knowledge of the word that we need, which is critical in order for you to have temperance. And it says, brotherly kindness, who me love him? Are you out of your mind? You know what he's done for me? I, I, I can't. I, 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 there are such great stories in this room right now. I, I wish I could tell you the things that I know that have occurred in this church family over the years. It defies, it defies logic. I, I, I've seen people forgive one another and do and 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 just find forgiveness and re, uh, reconciliation with it. Why? Because they know the word. And see, once you're born of water and spirit, here's what's going to happen. Every Bible study I've ever taught, anybody that ever comes into church, we rejoice when somebody gets baptized, and we should. And we rejoice when somebody's filled with the Holy Ghost, and we should. And we better rejoice when somebody repents, because it's that angels rejoice over somebody that repents, not baptize. Why? They're convinced they will get baptized. They will get a, We don't let the angels rejoice alone. So don't ever minimize repentance. But it's not enough by itself. And, and, and where, where are all the people we've baptized over the years? Why aren't they all in church? I'll tell you why. Because when you're dealing with a spirit-filled congregation and in, a, in an apostolic church, we're asking you to do something that everybody else doesn't ask you to do. This is about commitment. This is a lifestyle change. And, and sooner or later... You know, I, I want everybody to come, but uh, we're going to love everybody. But I'm telling you, sooner or later, they're going to go, oh, I, I, I think that preacher is asking me to change. I, I, I tell the story every now and then. I, I taught a guy years ago uh, named Bob Roos, taught him Bible study, 12-week Bible study, search for truth. 12 weeks, nothing happened. Squadoosh, nothing. So I wanted him bad. And uh, I said, you know, Bob, I went fast. How about, would you, would you like to do it again? Only this time I'll go slower. He said, yeah, that'd be great. 12 more weeks. Squadoosh. Nothing. Zero. So I, I said, have you, I didn't know what to do. I was desperate. I said, have you enjoyed Bible lessons we did on Thursday night in his house. He said, yeah. I said, would you like to keep doing it? Yeah, yeah, let's keep doing it. So I would take my Wednesday night Bible studies, because he worked on Wednesday nights. I'd take my Wednesday night Bible studies, and I'd just change them a little bit and teach them again at his house. I'm there for nine months. Nine months. After nine months, one day, he said, oh, I get it, Pastor Hoffman. You think I'm lost. I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, you don't understand. He said, 
I don't ever miss work. He said, I, 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 I don't do drugs. I don't do alcohol. I don't curse. He said, I'm a good dad. I'm a faithful husband. I, 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 I don't drink beer. He had a little boy named Dougie. Dougie's four. He's got a speech impediment. That was it. Dougie always came to Bible study. When his dad said, I don't drink beer, Dougie said, oh, yeah, you do, Dad. You got Bud White in the fridge right now. And he ran over the refrigerator, opened the door, and there was all them blue cans. He said, see, Pastor Hoffman, he does drink Bud White. And that's how I want him. Bible said, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. That little boy preached his daddy under conviction. That boy did something in 30 seconds I hadn't been able to accomplish in nine months. And that's when he started coming to church and got baptized. Because I'm telling you, when you're reaching with people, there's going to be a crisis in that life. And they're going to, have, they're going to realize, oh, I'm going to have to change. Because once you're born of water and spirit, you're going to see it. Doesn't mean you're in it. You're just going to see it. So you got to get born of water and spirit first. Then you're going to see it. See the kingdom way of life. Then you have to make a decision. Am I going to, am I going to get involved in that or not? And that's why they don't all show, they don't all last. Called, chosen, faithful. A lot of difference between that. And, and, and <laughs> I, I guess I, I just, I want you to understand John the Baptist's message. Don't minimize it when somebody repents. It's a big deal. But when Jesus showed up after six months of repentance preaching, notice what John said. It, it, it's in the, I think it's in the book of John. Here's John 1 and 29. It said, when John saw Jesus, notice what he said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This, this is very important, see, because in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, Paul slips into that same prophetic mantle, and this is what he says, Jesus is our Passover, and he is sacrificed for us. See, in the Old Testament, in Exodus 12, there's, there, they, they had a ceremony called Passover. Today, we don't have a ceremony. We have a Savior who is our Passover. And, and I, I wish I had time to, maybe one day in Bible study, I'll teach about Isaiah. Isaiah uh, you know, the, the, if, you, if you study the Bible much, there are what is known as major prophets and minor prophets. The minor prophets aren't any less important than the major. They're just called major prophets because their books are longer. Isaiah's got 66 chapters. He is known as the messianic prophet. So many, many of the things that he prophesied about were about the coming Messiah and Jesus coming to the earth. But, but, but what you got to understand, Isaiah, he's a big deal. You can prove I, Isaiah is related to kings. He's got a, a, an aristocratic family and background, and, and people love him. But then he says something that they don't love. This is what he said was going to happen to their coming king. 
said he was oppressed, he was afflicted, and he didn't open his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. And he, that, that's not the kind of savior, that's not kind, that's the kind of king they wanted. He, he is telling them that, 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 that this lamb, this coming Messiah, is going to be sacrificed. So you have to fast forward from Isaiah 600 years to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, you have this guy named Philip who is experiencing an amazing harvest. And, 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 and God calls him to just go out in the middle of nowhere and just, just stand there. I mean, it's, it's in the desert. The Sinai Desert is what it is. And, 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 and it's... <laughs> I, if, you, if you read much of the paper, today it would be called the Gaza Strip. Here is Philip standing out at a four-way stop in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, puff of dust on the horizon, beautiful horses, chariot, man doesn't even see him reading. This is, this is a black man, a unique from Ethiopia, a very powerful man because he is over all of the treasury of a queen whose name is Candace. He's a powerful man, has an amazing amount of responsibility. He's gone to Jerusalem for the festival, the feast. While he was there, he bought a copy of Isaiah's scroll. He's reading it on his way back home. And he's reading this thing that said, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And all of a sudden, he looks up, and there's this guy standing there, and he stops his chariot, and this guy said, hey, what are you reading? And he said, I'm reading this, this, this book by this guy named Isaiah. Yeah, you ever heard of this guy? I, I don't have a clue what this guy's talking about. And Philip said, would, would you like me to explain it to you? And he said, yes. Yes, I would. And what does he read? This very thing about a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before shears is dumb. This is Acts 8.32. He opened not his mouth. Watch, this is 32. What? We'll jump to 35. Here's verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture to preach Jesus unto him. Now, how in the world do you get Jesus out of some 600-year-old story about a sheep dying? It makes no sense at all unless you understand the power of prophecy because Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's the same person. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus and the sacrifice for the sin, they're the same person. Jesus and the Passover, they're the same person. I, I, you know, I want to I do the King James Bible because that's what the apostles used. I got news for you. They wrote the New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament. And you can prove the gospel through the Old Testament if you'll study. And Philip and these people were very familiar with these scriptures. 
Because what, let, 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 let me just be real basic here. I, I, I always get a mixed crowd here today. So some people have read a lot of Bible. Some people don't read a lot. Maybe you're very new to this. But let me explain to you what's going on. If you go back in the Old Testament, there is this nation of people known as Israel, which we would call Jews today. They're not called Jews in the Old Testament because Jew is, comes from the word Judah, and that's, that's a long way down the road here. But these, these, are, these are Israelites, and they are in bondage to another country. They're in bondage to Egypt. And, 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 and this is Exodus 12 and verse 2. Moses, who was a prophet, sent to these people. Moses said, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. It's really April, but he said, this is when the year really starts. Speak unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month shall they take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Here's here's verse 5 and 6. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So you get this sheep and 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 on the 10th, and you pin it up, and for four days you inspect this lamb to make sure that that it doesn't have a blemish. And then you kill it. There's, there's, I wish I'd thought, there's got such great prophecy here because there's this, there's this verse that, that's used often and I'll use it again. It's in 2 Peter 3 and 8. It says, one day is with the Lord a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So what are you saying? I'm saying when Adam sinned, God set aside a lamb. And for four days, you're going to have to watch that lamb to make sure it doesn't have any blemish. See, that, that, that's why, uh, think of it. If a thousand years is 24 hours, then 500 years is 12 hours in God's way of looking at things. And 250 years is six hours. So 125 years to us is three hours to God. And 62 and a half years is about an hour and a half. So let's say you live to 80. Couldn't you live for God for an hour and 45 minutes? That's why all of these prophets can plug into this information. Because this is what it says in Genesis 2 and 3. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it, watch, he rested from all his work which God created and made. In the original language, it doesn't say that. It says he created to make. Because if you go to the Hebrew, there's all the difference in the word between the word create and made or make. Because the word create is a word bara, which means to plan. 
blueprints. But make or made is, is a totally different word. It's, it's asa, which means intends. So notice how God rested from everything he created and made or created to make or God rested from everything he planned to do. Listen very carefully, ladies and gentlemen. God's creation is over, but his work is not finished. Okay? It's all created. It's, it's all been planned. Look, here's John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Now here's Romans, I don't know, Romans chapter 10. It says, um, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. But, but that word, W-O-R-D in English, in Romans 10, is not the same original word that's in John 1 and 1. Now, in English, it's just word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Faith cometh by hearing by the word. So we just think it's word, that it's not. In Romans 10, the word is rhema, which means personalized word. In other words, it's not enough just to come to church. It's not enough just for you to be here and listen to me preach. What you got to do is you have to personalize the word and say, that's for me. You don't want to say, now them bums two pews behind me, they really need to hear this. You know, there's an old preacher story about, about a preacher preaching about adultery. And then and, and these two women were just saying, amen, amen, amen. And then he started talking about gossip and slander. And they said he just quit preaching and started meddling now. You know, not the same. Because it's hard to personalize that. See, this is what you have to... I, I don't want to get sidetracked. But I remember in that first Gulf War, I, I, I got fascinated with this gun that Hitler made, was making, a super gun. And... Uh, um, there's a famous Canadian gun maker, um, uh, uh, Robert, now I won't remember his last name. And uh, he wanted to make that super gun that Hitler had made. And no one would finance it because he had a dream of shooting spacecrafts into space from a cannon. No launch, just boom. That was his dream. And he was convinced one of the ways to do it was to create what was called a super gun. No one would finance it. And Saddam Hussein got a hold of him and said, I'll finance your weapon if you'll let me point it anywhere I want. And they pointed it towards Jerusalem. And when they, uh, the gun was built, you find the pictures of it, and um, when the military came and saw this thing, they're going, what, in the, what is that? Massive gun, massive barrel, and they had these shells, but they didn't have the timers. And... They discovered them in Heathrow Airport in London. They were called plumbing supplies, 
See, Saddam Hussein had the weapons, but he didn't have the fuses. He didn't have the ability to detonate it. When I preach to you today, this is what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews is happening right now. Faith is going to come to you. It's going to come. Faith cometh by hearing. But that's all it's going to do. It's just going to come to you. Because it says, the word preached to them did not profit them. Because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard the word. Because according to Romans 12, everyone is given the measure of faith. That's that. Remember, it said a broken, a, a, a bruised reed he won't break, a smoking flax he won't quench. You, you've got this coal, just a smoldering. Think of your, your grill in your backyard. Think of one of them charcoal baguettes. You've got a smoldering thing still in your spirit. It's basically all that's left over from Adam. In the book of Malachi, it said our spirit is the residue, the residue of the spirit. It's like peeling an orange and eating the orange, and all you have left are the peelings. That's what the human spirit is after God's gone. It's like a corn, husking corn and getting rid of the corn. All you got's the husk. The human spirit is, is the leftovers after God's gone. That's why Malachi says we have the residue of the Spirit. But Romans 12 teaches, we, it doesn't say A, an indefinite article. It says the. It's very definite. To everyone is given the measure of faith. You have lurking in your spirit this smoldering coal. And, 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 and God's not going to put it out. And so the Bible says in Romans 1 and 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. Power. There are several words for power in the Greek language, but that word power in Romans 6, 1 and 16 is dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. Are you getting the picture now? While, while I'm preaching to you, I want you to picture a giant stick of dynamite walking off of this platform out of that Bible and just standing in front of you. But that's all it's going to do. It, it, it's just going to come to you. What you have to do now is take that measure of faith that's in you, which that's the trigger, see. See, the, the word is the dynamite, but dynamite's got to have a fuse. Bombs have got to have a trigger. The way you detonate the thing is you take the word as being preached to you and you go, whoo, that's for me. I receive the engrafted word. And if you're not willing, I don't know. I remember my uncle always trying to graft apples with cherries when I was a kid. Going to have a cherry in the middle of an apple. And just, yeah, there's nothing to it. Just cut this and put that in there. But if you've ever been around something that's grafted, there's a cut, there's sap, there's a wound. And the Bible said we receive the engrafted word. And I'm telling you, it's a painful thing sometimes when the word of the Lord comes to you and it cuts you wide open. And you're going to have to take that thing and put it in your spirit and say, I need that. I need that. Because when you take the measure of faith or the trigger, which every one of you have got, and you combine it with the dynamite that is in the word...
something amazing goes on. It'll change your life. It'll change your family. It'll change your bad vocabulary. It'll change the way you talk. My grandma used to say, make you walk right and spit white. Because where I live, they all spit tobacco. They couldn't afford snuff. His old raw tobacco. Nasty stuff. My grandpa always had a Crisco can. I still remember, take that blue label off. Sit that thing down there by the chair. Pow, pow, amazing. You should have seen my uncles eat cherries. My God, mom tells me this story about one of my uncles. He'd eat cherries. My grandma had a big cherry tree, and he'd just stick him cherries in his mouth, one after another, after another, and not spitting. Finally, after 20 minutes of eating cherries, he'd just go, and just spit out all them seeds. Why? Because he'd been chewing backy for all them years. And he had to store that juice over there, and this there, and all this. Just, man, these are talented boys. <laughs> I've seen the word of God detonate in somebody's life. Kaboom. I heard a story about two Indians down in New Mexico. One was doing, they were sending smoke signals to one another. Puffing smoke. All of a sudden, the second one, he's getting ready to send a smoke signal. and They dynamited an atomic bomb behind him. Big, giant mushroom cloud. That other Indian turned to his friend and said, boy, I I wish I'd have said that. (laughs) When you take the word of the Lord and you personalize it, say, don't say thank you, pastor. Say thank you, Jesus, for giving me the word, challenging me, convicting me. I don't want to be lost. I don't want that to happen. And, 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 and what's so amazing is there's this other word. I, I, I've always been fascinated with these original words. For instance, there's a scripture in the book of Luke 10. He said, I will give you power over all the power of the enemy. But it's two different words. Well, one is charisma and another one is dunamis. And what, what, what he's saying, one means ability, but the other means authority. And what the Lord is saying is Satan has ability, but I'm going to give you authority over all of his ability. I'll give you power over his power. And there's all these great studies in those original words. For instance, in John 101, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. That's called logos. That's not rhema. That's logos. But you can also translate logos into mind, will, or plan. So I'm grammatically correct in saying, in the beginning was the plan, and the plan was with God, and the plan was God. See, it's from the foundation. <laughs> it's before anything happens. You've got to have a foundation for a building. He's the lamb slain from the foundation. What's that mean? That was created all the way. That was planned all the way back then. But for four days, and a day is a thousand years, so for four days you got to keep that lamb around, and you got to make sure that lamb is perfect. Perfect. That's why it says in the book of Galatians 4, it says, when the fullness of time 
was come. Do you understand it was in the fourth year? He said, no, Jesus lived three and a half, year, three and a half years of ministry. It's in the fourth year of his ministry that he was crucified. I can prove to you in the Bible, he entered into Jerusalem on the 10th day. He was crucified on the 14th, just like that Passover lamb was all those years ago. But you gotta, you gotta be able to look at him and be around him long enough. And if you're around him long enough, not once, but twice, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Judas, Judas said in Matthew 27, I have betrayed innocent blood. The soldier at the bottom of the cross, when, when, when the sun took a veil and hid its face from its creator, that soldier said, truly, this was the son of God. Go back into the book of Peter. And in first Peter, it says, we were not redeemed with corruptible things like money, silver and gold, or that vain conversation that we receive by listening to others. But we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Watch, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. When you go to Exodus 12, I've, I've proved to you, it's in Numbers, Numbers chapter one. Numbers is a book of numbers. And it numbers the people in the tribes over the age of 20 who are capable of going to war. And it's very clear at the end of Numbers chapter one, 603,550. That's how many men there were over the age of 20 able to go to war. We don't know how many men there were under the age of 20. There's no mention of the women or the girls. And the tribe of Levi was never numbered. So I'm very comfortable telling you there's two million people here. And when it says put a lamb for that house, you've got to understand we're talking about thousands, thousands of lambs that were slain back in Egypt in Exodus chapter 12. But do your homework. Read that entire chapter. Not one time we would talk about lambs. It's always the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. Why? <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, was, it was planned all the way from the beginning. That's how Isaiah could plug into it. That's how John the Baptist could plug into it. That's how Peter could plug into it. It was prophesied. That's why in Hebrews 9, it says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, watch, but by his own blood, by his own blood. This is powerful. This is, here's Acts 20. Next Sunday, I'll preach to you on the 2020 vision of the church, but it won't just be from this year. We're going to give you a plan for the next five years of where we'd like to go and what we'd like to do. Because Acts 20 and 20 says this, I have taught you publicly and from house to house. And there are people that will poo-poo small groups and life groups, but you're crazy if you do. You would be amazed how many people were baptized this year because of the life groups. How many people are sitting in this church now because of life groups? They would have never been there. Jesse Rodriguez is here today, reconciled with his wife, with his family again, not because of Harold's preaching, but because of something from house to house. Is it work? Yes. Open up your house, get involved. That's the 2020 vision. Let's have corporate service and let's do it from house to house. Let's get Jesus out of this box. Let's get Jesus out of this building. Let's get him into this community where he belongs. It's just a thought.
I got to get something to drink. That was wonderful preaching, Harold. Amen. Watch. But here's Acts 20 and 28. Feed the flock. I love that verse. The flock. Why? Because he's our good shepherd. The church, we're, we're the sheep. My wife's been gone. She's she coming back on the 10th of January, I think. Three months she'll be gone. I'm married to Ashley. <laughs> I told Renee, I said, I got, I got a wife, I got a mother, I got a mother-in-law, and a, and a parole officer all in one, Ashley. <laughs> Time to get up, Dad. Time to go to eat, Dad. Time to do the laundry, Dad. Time to do this. Time to take me here, Dad. Time to... Uh, So you know what I did during Christmas? I overdosed on Ralphie. Did you ever see the Christmas story? 200-shot range model, BB gun, Red Rider. I have seen that thing a hundred times. One of my favorite parts of Christmas story is they're getting dressed for school because I remember how it was when I was a kid. And they got this little boy, Randy, and she's got all these clothes and these boots, and she wraps in the, oh, and he said, oh, I'll go to the bathroom, you know, can't put his arms down. And he's running towards his brother, and he falls, and he's on the snow, and he's, he's like a turtle on its back. He says, I can't get up, I can't get up. That's my mental model of the church. We're just a bunch of dumb sheep. I mean, this is crazy that we want to tell life that we know more about living than he does. <laughs> Human nature. Sheep, dumb sheep. Just go get on the edge of a cliff and go, I wonder what would happen if I did this. And you're down there on this ledge and all you do is go, Meh! I heard that this morning, my wife washing this little baby. Ah! Everybody ought to pastor for three months. Sit across the desk from someone's going, ah! Hey, dummy, you shouldn't have jumped off the cliff. That's the church. We just wonder and we do stupid stuff. But we got a great shepherd. We have this great shepherd. And... It says, feed the flock of God over which the spirits made you overseers. Watch what it says. Which he hath purchased with his own blood. When you use the word redeem or redemption, it means to buy. I, I was listening to the radio this past week. I forget where it was. There was a Walmart. They had $45,000 worth of toys on layaway. And people had been paying five, ten bucks. And somebody came in and they, they never gave their name and just gave them $45,000 and said, let every one of them parents come in. Just tell them toys are already paid. We weren't built to be drug addicts chemical crushes. 
all the slop and the filth and the the vermin and the vitriolic garbage, the virus, sin. We were built to be filled with his spirit, have the badge of his name on us. People do stupid stuff. I, 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 have you ever said this here about somebody that, I, I, I read about a, a man uh, this morning, a, a, a rabbi in New York City was having a, a meal with his, with his family and friends and a man burst into his house and stabbed the whole family. The whole family. And when I hear something like that, I'm going, oh, I hope you give that bum what he deserves. Did you ever say anything like that? Somebody does some horrendous sin, and we go, boy, I hope they catch that guy. Why? Don't you get it? It's hardwired into us. An eye for an eye. There's got to be judgment. There's got to be life for a life. I was in California this year with all the fires, horrible fires. And I asked one of the men I was with, I said, take me up to where the fire is. And he said, I, I don't know if they'll let us in there, Pastor Robert. I said, well, well, let's try. And we went back into these canyons and the smoke was everywhere. Just heat. You could see the clouds billowing. And I watched this firefighter have this galvanized can and he just started walking. And everywhere he walked, diesel fuel that was lit was dripping out of that can. And I'm going, what is he doing? Don't we have enough fire already? He said, oh no, Pastor Robin, this is a fire break. I said, what? It's a fire break. They're starting a fire and they're burning it for the next hundred yards. So when the flames get there, judgment's already happened. There's nothing left to burn. That's what happened in your life and my life because of this lamb. Come on, folks. He, he purchased it with his own blood. Do you get what that means? I, 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 that, when, I, when I read that verse, my mind goes in a million directions. It's, you, you, I, I needed a vehicle, so I bought one. I, I needed a house, so I bought one. I needed clothes, so I bought them. I needed food. That's what happens to us. Our, our, whole, our whole economy, you want education, you're going to have to pay for it. Stock market, the whole thing is based on buying something. Don't you get it? God doesn't need anything. Get back in the beginning. God wants some fish, he just spoke them into existence. God wanted trees, he just spoke them into existence. God wanted a moon, a sun, stars. He just spoke them into existence. But you and I were not spoken into existence. We were formed. Don't you get it? That's why trees have dropped their leaves. Why they have to? It's why the, why the ducks are down in Arkansas right now. Because they have to. Don't you get it? It's hardwired into them. They were spoken into existence by the word. God did not speak you and I into existence. He formed us. 
Therefore, you and I have the ability to do something that nothing else in this world can do. We can disobey the word because the word didn't create us. We were formed. It's a whole different animal. You and I have got the ability to tell God no. You've got the ability to say some stupid stuff and do some stupid stuff. But what I'm preaching to you today here is the power. Jimmy Hoffa, I got fascinated with this guy. They, 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 they put out a movie recently called The Irishman. I read the, Years ago, I read about this guy named Frank Sheehan. Frank Sheehan said that he was the guy that shot Jimmy Hoffa over in, in, uh, by, by, by Marcus Red Fox. And, and, but, but they pretty much disproved it's all a lie because Frank Sheehan was, was dying and he didn't have any money. And he told a bunch of lies hoping to sell a book so he could leave some money to his family. And there's all these theories that Jimmy Hoffa's buried underneath the Renaissance Center and he's buried under giant stadium over there. And, and, and they've been digging up farms for how many years in this area? They can't. You, you know why they've never convicted anybody for killing Jimmy Hoffa? Because they can't find a body. They can't find a body. And if you don't have a body it's really hard to have a case and that's what happened to you and I the Bible said our life is hid with Christ in God or hid with Christ in God so what happens is 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 that is that when you get in Jesus Christ it's a life for a life don't you get it the fire of judgment's coming at us but when it gets to our life it, it, there's nothing to burn because the judgment has already been made on our life through the blood of Jesus Christ he was our sacrifice it's why the judge says I, I, I don't have a body how can I can, they know who killed Jimmy Hoffa they just don't have a body and when you are in Jesus Christ and he's the one that died, then sin's demands have been paid through him. And that's why it says in the book of Exodus 12, if the lamb, if your house be too little for the lamb, I can prove to you in the Bible I also think that's Exodus 12. It says it's a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. It wasn't just Israelites. There were other people that are grouped into this big thing called the stranger. And there were Egyptians. Israelites weren't the only slaves. There were Egyptians who were in prison. There were all these other people from their wars and their captivity. They, they, they were all, it's a mixed multitude. Don't you get it? We, we think, well, the, the pastor only, only worked for the Jews. No. Whoever was in that house, if you put that blood on your house, he said, when I see the blood, he didn't say, when I figure out you're one of my children. He didn't say that. He said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. So whether you were a Jew, a stranger, or an Egyptian, it didn't matter as long as you had the blood applied to your life. But how do you eat the Passover? It said, put your shoes on your feet, have your pack on the back. Eat all the lamb chops you want. But this is what he said. If your house is too little for the lamb, in other words, if all you're going to do is invite your kids, you're going to have a lot of lamb left over. When's the last time you dealt with an Egyptian? When's the last time you dealt with a stranger? When's the last time you invited somebody into your house that's not in the club? 
open up your house. Because I promise you this, I don't care how big your house is, it's too little to contain the Lamb of God. Average human adult, nine to 12 pints of blood. It said we were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. And the Greek word is rare, extremely rare. I'm here to teach you today. I'm not saying what you did wasn't wrong. I'm just telling you, in Jesus Christ is your remedy. In Jesus Christ is your answer. He's your Passover. Get him applied to your life. And judgment won't have anything to work with in your life. It's been dealt with. In Jesus' name. Lord, this is the very last Sunday we will meet in this building. It doesn't mean that this Sunday is more important than any other day. But we're coming to an end of this season right now. It is possible that I'm teaching somebody right here, right now, Lord, that has played games. They have just on and off, mask on Sunday, take off the mask on Monday. I'm asking you, Lord, preacher, people, Shepherd and sheep, let us not be duplicitous people and let us not be double-minded. You said it's impossible for sweet water and bitter water to come out of the same well. You said that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost and we don't want to defile this temple. And I'm asking you, God, as we're winding up this year, Lord, that there would be an understanding that would come upon all of us. I got another chance to do it right. Because a day with the Lord could be a thousand years. I don't know how many lifetimes are in a thousand years, but it's a lot longer than I'm going to ever live. But one day with you, Lord, can satisfy and can deal and adapt and forgive all the stupid stuff in my whole life combined. In Jesus' name, stand with me. Stand with me. Stand with me. Here's an old song. God help you. Try and follow this. The Lord is greater now than he's ever been. He's greater now than he's ever been. He's greater now than he's ever been to me. And the psalm is just the same today as he's always been and will always stay. But he's greater now than he's ever been to me. Will you come with me around this altar one more time? 
I know we do it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I remember working on a church building in Georgia and we were trying to dig a foundation for the church and the, the backhoe just unearthed this big giant boulder, big, big as a car. And this guy came over and handed me a sledgehammer and he said, go ahead, Brother Hoffman, hit that dude. And I hit that thing as hard as I could and that, that sledge just bounced off of it, bing. And he looked at me and grinned and he said, hit it again, same place. And I hit it again, bing. He said, do it again, Pastor Robin, everything you got, swing everything you got. Boy, and I just reared up and gave it everything I had. And that, 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 that sled just bounced off of that rock. And I looked at him and I said, I don't think I'm, he said, no, no, you got to understand. Every time you're hitting it, you're sending shock waves and they're meeting in the core of that rock. And he said, that rock is going to split from the inside out. He said, go ahead and hit it again. See if it sounds different. It was my fifth or sixth blow. And I hit that thing with everything I had. It didn't go bing this time. It kind of went, kind of clank. And he said, you got it. Hit it again. And when I hit it the next time, that thing just broke in half. And I felt like I was Schwarzenegger, man. And again and again, we come around this altar. And again and again, we preach the word of the Lord to you. Hitting on you. Hitting on you. Hitting on you. But what I'm hoping is why we keep doing this is because I'm believing that today the word of the Lord has found us and we've received the engrafted word and it's cracking us open. If it's appropriate, put your hand on someone right now. Amen. If you ever got anointed, get anointed right now. Just, just don't, don't pray for yourself. You pray for your brother, your sister. You pray for them. Amen. It's like if you're a dad, if your boy was dying, I want you to pray for that dad just like you were praying for your own dying boy. Mom, if it was your daughter, if it was your sister, if it was your mom that was dying, how would you pray? I want you to pray with that intensity, not for you or your family. I want you to pray for your brother and your sister, for their family. The Bible said God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friend. So we can get real sincere when it's us and ours. But what about your brother? You've got your hand on something right now. You don't have a clue what you're praying for. This man that you're praying for right now is under attack. This woman that you've got your hand on, you can't imagine the weight that she carried just to get in this building here today. Come on, the lamb's bigger than your house. Give some of that lamb away. Give some of that lamb to somebody that's not family. Give some of that lamb to somebody that's not kin. Give, give, give lamb to somebody that's not in your bloodline. Amen. Jesus, this is my brother. My brother. I am my brother's keeper. I am. I don't want him to shoulder this burden another day by himself. Help me today in the Holy Ghost to get my shoulder beneath his load and to share the weight that my brother is under right now. This is my sister right now, Lord Jesus. Help me. Help me.
me right now, Lord, to ease the weight, the oppression, the pressure that this lady is under right now. I thank you for touching Brother Parsons this week. He could be in a hospital right now. He could have been in real trouble, but he's here today in church and I thank you for that. I thank you for brand new babies that you've given. But I pray for Sister Sexton right now. I pray for Brother Pacheco right now. I pray for precious people, God, that I know that are under attack right now. And I'm asking you and believing you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. That blood of that lamb, Lord. If we need the blood from your back, then apply it to our body. If we need the blood from your side, then apply it to our sin. If we need the blood from your brow, then apply it to our thought life. One way or the other, Lord. If I've touched things that I should have never touched, let a nail-scarred hand touch me today. If I've gone places that I should have never gone, let bloody feet sanctify my life right now. You are my pastor. You are my excuse. You are the reason, Lord, judgment will not be found in my house because you've already been the firebreak in my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Won't you sing something for us here, music lady? Amen. Let's sing a song before we go. Hallelujah.
Oh